0: We just recorded, which won't be out for a little bit, a very fun interview with Paula Ferris.
1: It was so fun.
0: And I'm just gonna give a spoiler alert because I have on these really fun new glasses from Pear eyewear, and she called me several times Katie Couric.
1: And did you not love that? It
0: made me so happy. And so now I'm trying to, you know, be a little more Katie Couric in my life. So, David Thomas. Yes, Katie. I am so excited that the first part of this season is dedicated to this amazing book, Raising Emotionally Strong Boys, that we're getting to talk about a lot of, not all of, because there's way more than we could ever get in a season of a podcast, but a lot of the really wonderful, helpful, insightful things that you talk about in this book. And in this episode, we are talking about helping kids build strong connections. And subtitle is.
1: Stop draining the life out of your mom.
0: <laughs> yes, that's so good. Okay, so here's what I want you to start us off talking about, and then we could build. Tell them about the whole concept of the two piece. You're into initials these days. We talked about the three R's. Now we're at the two P's because we're getting old and we need help remembering. That's you right.
1: Them. We need a lot of what are those things called? Mnemonics. <laughs> I can't remember. <laughs> Who knows? Well, we're too we old. To a, yeah, we can't remember what they're called. Yes. But yes, we talked about the three R's and the strength of emotions, and in the strength of connection. The two P's that I talk a lot about are parents and peers, and those playing a primary role in our kids' lives, their relationships. And so, should we start out talking about the first P, about parents, or should we talk about peers first?
0: Let's jump in with peers. All
1: right. Let's talk about peers. There is a lot to be said about even the differences unique to gender that we see in terms of how girls approach relationship and how boys approach relationship.
0: I just noticed that we had a comment of someone being critical on social media. They were saying that we were gender stereotyping kids and that would never be our intention. But anything that we're reporting is either something that we have found in research or it's something that we have experienced in our offices in almost three decades of work. So
1: that is not our intention. Not at all. And a blanket disclaimer that I think we often make when we speak is that there certainly are going to be Boys who are exceptions to the rule of things I'm going to talk around and girls who are exceptions to the rule of things you're going to talk around. But as you said wisely, in keeping with a lot of what we're seeing in our offices and working with boys and girls.
0: Yeah. Y'all, we're just
1: trying to help. We are.
0: (laughs) So, okay, let's talk about boys. What are you seeing? What would you say about boys in terms of the strength of connection?
1: One big difference I think we're seeing in our offices would be how often you and I are talking with kids about hard things that happen in their lives. Mm. Let's say, for example, this just happened in my office yesterday, a boy whose parents are going through a divorce, and I have asked this question repeatedly of boys over the years. like, how many of your friends know this is happening? Mm. Only to have a boy look at me as if to say, why in the world would I have told anyone? Because I often will have parents say to me, Their son said, please don't tell my teacher that you're going through a divorce. They just don't want anyone to know, which is part of that whole suppression and self-reliance thing I talk about all throughout raising emotionally strong boys and how that instinct, I don't want to tell anyone, I don't want anyone to know, is so harmful to boys. You know, Because one, they're holding it in. Two, they're not asking for help. And so there's so many layers of where I want to be moving boys away from that. Where I want to encourage parents to help boys head is away from suppression and self-reliance and toward expression and community. Mm. That they don't lean far enough into the benefits of relationships and friendships. Whereas I would suspect, and you tell me if I'm wrong, that girls may lean too far into that space. Sometimes ask too much of relationships where boys aren't asking enough.
0: Yes, yes. And I think there's confusion even about who are the types of people that we share the deeper information with. Because we're in this age, like we talk so much about, where kids are, you know, not just saying, I want to run away. They're saying, I want to kill myself. They're using this really intense language. And so in that, I think girls even use emotion to connect sometimes and to get attention at younger and younger ages. And I went to a continuing education seminar years ago on Mean Girls. And it was fascinating, all the different things we talked about. But one was that girls often place best friend expectations on acquaintances. And I think there's some of that sense of, I'm going to tell you so much about myself, hoping it's going to be a way we connect, but then I don't even know you, or you're not that kind of a friend, and now I'm expecting you to respond in a way that that we haven't earned the trust. And so, I think with girls, I feel like it's really important. Even I will sometimes have girls draw a bullseye of you know your closest few, and then what does it look like to have friends that aren't best friends, and then what does it look like to have acquaintances, and what does that mean you expect of each? On one hand, and the other, something that we talk about all the time, and I feel certain we've talked about on here, but I can't say it enough with girls and parents is that whole idea that book I love that I read in my 20s that a dear friend gave me called Balcony People that talks about how we have these people in the balcony of our lives cheering us on and we have people in the basement maybe pulling us down and for kids to help them understand they have balcony people that are cheering them on, they have basement people who are not the kind of friends who are going to know how to value the vulnerable things that you say and then we have roller coaster friends that are up and down from balcony to basement, balcony to basement and how do we help girls of all ages understand which is which. And then how much do you share? What's appropriate with each type of friend? I think there's just, COVID's only made it worse. There's just so much confusion in that sense of relational depth and connection and the pacing of that. And so I think they need more help than ever having those conversations.
1: I love that you break it down that way. And one of the ways that I break it down with boys in the strength of connection is actually this runner that one of my sons introduced me to so my boys ran track and cross country when they were in school and they watched a documentary about this Kenyan runner named Elliot Kipchoge there's a beautiful documentary about his life he was raised by a single mom and he ran to school every day mm. and over the course of all that running became highly skilled in this space and I don't want to give everything away but he is known to be the fastest man on the planet. He was the first person to ever run a full marathon under two hours. Wow. Now, I struggled to run a half marathon in under two hours, just to give you some perspective on that. Ran a full marathon in under two hours, but he had these pace setters, these close friends who ran with him to help him keep the pace so that he wouldn't go out too fast Mm. or be too slow and maintain a pace that would end with completing the marathon in that time. And so I talk with boys using that analogy about what is it like to deal with critics on the sideline, with yes. spectators, and then with pace setters, Like those people uh-huh. who are going to run with you in the hard moments who can tell you're struggling and are cheering you on. Mm-hmm. And so I have even some questions in the book, like pace setter questions, that help boys figure out the kinds of friends they're wanting to have oh, in their life and David, what they bring to the that. equation.
0: I had a mom one time who said to me that she had told her daughter she wanted her to find and be a weight for you type of friend. I'm gonna wait for you. You know, we all want people who do that. That that yes. reminds me of somebody that really does come alongside in such a beautiful way. But I think with both genders, we would sure say we wanna help kids focus as much, if not more, on being a friend than having a friend.
1: Absolutely. That's so where I wanted to go with the setter questions in yeah. the books. It's like not only who's being that for you, but who are you being a setter for? Yeah. Yes. Always helping kids look outward. Yes. See, I loved seeing your pictures from the weekend at the lake house with your college friends.
0: We had the best time.
1: I could tell.
0: We laughed harder than I have laughed in a long time.
1: Good for you.
0: That photo of us out on the porch is thanks to the great folks at Home Threads. We love our new porch furniture. It's so comfortable, functional, and looks incredible.
1: We have loved our Home Thread purchases as well. I feel like I'm staying in a swanky hotel every time I use our new towels. Connie bought them for when we have guests, and I proceeded to use them for myself, so we had to buy more.
0: <laughs> Parents, are you ready to transform your home into a haven for your growing family? Look no further than HomeThreads, your destination for stylish and functional furniture that's perfect for raising boys and girls.
1: At HomeThreads.com, discover a curated collection of furniture designed with your family in mind. From durable bunk beds to versatile storage solutions, our pieces are as resilient as your little adventures and always at the best value.
0: I need a lot of durable furniture when it comes to my little nephews.
1: Yes, you do.
0: Create a space where memories are made and imaginations run wild. Go to HomeThreads.com RBG and get 15% off your first order.
1: Home Threads. shop today and love where you live. Sissy, you are loving your new pair of glasses, aren't you? I have heard you tell three people about them, and I catch you snapping on your sunglasses all the time.
0: Yes, I talk about them all the time. I love them. I think they're brilliant. And I love not having to travel with two sets of glasses. I can just snap on the sunglasses, and it's so easy.
1: Well, I would be jealous, except that I couldn't decide because I liked so many, and I ended up ordering two pairs of sunglasses.
0: (laughs) I get it. As incredible as the frame options are, the lens options are amazing. Blue light, sunglasses, readers, light responsive lenses, leopard lenses, and more.
1: And the prices are amazing. Choose from a range of iconic base shapes starting at just $60, including prescription.
0: Not only is the price amazing, the mission is as well. For every pair you buy, Pear provides glasses to a child in need.
1: I just love that. Get glasses as ever-changing as you are with Pear. Go to com slash girls. For 15% off your first purchase. That's 15% off at pair.com slash raising boys and girls. So, shall we talk about the second P? I would Parents? love
0: to. Yes.
1: All right. Here's maybe where the subtitle that we <laughs> joked about comes in. I liked it. Talk a little bit about that great research you read years ago about the difference between boys and girls in the face of failure.
0: Well, I read a study, which I wish I could find, because I really did read the study. Who knows where it was, because I'm too old to remember anything from a month ago. But it talked about how when something goes wrong in a boy's world, he blames someone else, which you would add anecdotally. His mother. Yes. And when something goes wrong in a girl's world, which we say this all the time at parenting seminars, and every woman in the room says herself.
1: Yeah. In fact, when we pose it in the way you just did a few minutes ago, moms will even say his mother. It's yes. like moms know because yes. they've experienced it. And I love talking about that because to your great point, I think what moms do as grown women to that reality is blame themselves when things go wrong in parenting. Like, what am I not doing enough of? What am I doing wrong? And the reality just being you are often the safest place on earth. And so he is going to bring so much of his emotion to mm-hmm. you. And- one of the things that I talk about in the book is what does it look like, and not just for moms, but parents in general, to be a sounding board, but not a punching bag?
2: Oh, that's good, Daniel. You are
1: there as a place of support, but you are not there for him to just unload all of his emotional venom on, which I think left to their own devices, sometimes boys will just do that, and then sadly transfer that on to the next important female in his life. I've had a lot of parents of adolescent boys say, "Like, I feel like he is way too much with his girlfriend. When I read his mm-hmm. text, he's unloading too much. That's not fair for a 15, 16, 17-year-old girl Which to carry so that much, much emotion. It makes sense that
0: boys aren't talking to each other, that of course, they're going to lean on the girlfriend. And then her.
1: I think turn right around and do that to their fiance or their wife yes. someday. So developing healthy patterns in that space, I think is so important. And it connects back to the strength of emotion of if he's not building that resourcefulness that we talk so much about where he learns to do that work for himself, of course, he's going to keep going to Mm. these primary females in his life. And so that pattern I call in the book, emotional tug of war. And, you know, my challenge to moms is as long as we keep holding the other end of the rope, tug of war keeps going. But tug of war is over when one person learns to set the rope down, Mm. not throw the rope down, but set the rope down in a healthy, constructive way. And so that's so much of what I really want to encourage moms and dads to lean into so that he is developing resourcefulness. Because we talked in Are My Kids on Track about as long as we're being kids' resources, they'll never develop resourcefulness. And then I would say, I laugh with parents in that space too about a a comment that a mom made to me years ago, and she was talking about her teenage son, and she was saying, I do not want to be dramatic, David, but sometimes talking with him feels like a hostage crisis. Mm. <laughs> she said, I feel like I'm engaging with a terrorist, and it's just a teenager. And I said, well, to build on that analogy, what is the United States' position on terrorism? Like, <laughs> we do not negotiate with terrorists, and we know it's not helpful, and we might need to apply that same wisdom to toddlers and teenagers at times because— Too much negotiating, too much allowing kids to be manipulative, argumentative, so many things, I think only enhances this emotional tug of war Mm -hmm. as opposed to moving them in healthier directions, which is what the first third of that book is all about. So I really want to challenge parents in that space to say, that's the long game. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not that we're not offering support. It's not that we're not being a sounding board. That's the great place to land in. But We don't want to be doing all the problem-solving for him. We want to be moving him toward problem-solving. I think it's It's a little bit like, you know, if we just sit at the table with kids until their homework is complete, or maybe we do a little of that homework for them, it shortcuts the process, but they haven't gotten all that good learning. And I think it's a lot the same way here. What about with girls? What do you see with girls and parents?
0: You know, I'm seeing two things currently, and one is very similar to what you were describing that we talk so much with parents about, but that it feels like in lieu of, or sometimes preferentially, rather than using healthy coping strategies, it feels like girls are using their parents as coping strategies. And girls are so verbal and so emotional that I feel like they will vent very explosively over their mothers and fathers. And- to your point, moms probably most often because they feel safest with moms, but I think they are not wanting to do the work of regulation, and so they're just being explosive on one hand, and they're also not wanting to do the work of working through the anxiety or whatever's happening emotionally. And so I feel like girls are so manipulative, like we've talked about a million times when they're anxious. And so they learn in their intuition too. It's like they're taking all these places. They're so gifted and flipping it, but they learn how to manipulate parents into rescuing them. And so I feel like I'm seeing that happen a lot with girls and maybe more than ever.
1: Okay. Okay. Can I tell you a real life story? Just yesterday in my office, I was yes. with this great set of parents and they have an anxious eight-year-old daughter yes, who is bright, smart, all the things you just described. And they've been working through your great workbook, mm. Braver, Stronger, Smarter. And she told her mother, this is such a picture of what you said. She told her mother, she says, the breathing is not working for me. Yes. The strategies in the workbook are not working for me. And every time you leave the room it makes my anxiety 10 times worse. Oh,
0: there you go. That's <laughs> no, such a picture That's of it. That's exactly what we're talking about. Yes. And so to your great point about letting down the rope, I mean, my question would be, how do you stop being a coping strategy? So they develop their own. And so much of it involves disengaging. And I think, I feel like I've had a lot of conversations with parents like this lately. I think we culturally are so strong about being present and not wanting kids to feel abandoned or isolated or not wanting them to have to feel alone and whatever it is they're going through that, that we've even been manipulated culturally into thinking we can't disengage. And we're both saying that it's so important to disengage. The other trend I'm seeing with girls, and I think some of it is what we have talked about, that we're seeing more social anxiety than ever before. I'm seeing more girls who I think their moms are their best friends. Than I've ever seen, and there's a part of that that I love—that depth of connection that they share—and there's a part of it that concerns me, because I worry those girls are not developing friendships, that they're not doing the work of getting someone's phone number or figuring out how to connect, and you know the things that I'll do often with especially introverted kids in my office, where I'll say, "I want you to." text a friend at least once a week and come back and report to me, or I want you to invite one person over in the next two weeks for a sleepover, or whatever it is, if you don't feel comfortable with sleepovers, just to get together, but where we're making them reach out towards other kids. Now, I will say, I think one of the hardest parts of girls and development, and probably boys too, is the normal place where we hit, where they individuate. And I think it's more confusing sometimes when they've been best friends, and it blind sides, the moms more. I was thinking the other day about this girl that I saw who forever ago, she and her mom had been so close for so many years and she hit seventh grade. And it was the first time I'd seen her that year. And she came in and she said, you know, my mom and I used to be so close and we just don't get along anymore. And I said, what happened? What has gone on between the two of you? And she said, I'm in seventh grade, and when you're in seventh grade, you're not supposed to be friends with your mom. You're not supposed to get along with them. It had nothing to do with anything that was in their relationship. It was purely about individuating and the influence of our peers. And so I think especially if you've been in a season where you have been your kids' best friends, there's a beauty to that, and we want to lean into that in some ways. We want to make sure they're connecting with other kids too – And we want to realize that when they hit the point where you're no longer that, it is not about you. It's about the work
1: that they have to do to become their own people. Sissy, last time I checked, you had a few dozen toy excavators and skid steer loaders at your house. (laughs) Signs of being the proud aunt of a toddler age boy. What are you and Henry reading these days?
0: Well, some of his favorites are monster trucks of course, and Digger Man, which is really great. But you know what else we've been reading at my house when he comes to spend the night? What? The Explorer Bible for Kids. We both love it.
1: I love it, too. Speaking of excavators, I bet he loves the excavating the past images. Oh,
0: David, that was good.
1: That connect the dots between the Bible and archaeological discoveries. He's like a little Indiana Jones in those moments.
0: Yes, he is. I also love the Discovering the Truth call-outs that put a spotlight on the big truths of the Bible. It includes QR codes linking to videos and discussion questions.
1: I love the character field guides that explain important people in the Bible with fun facts and insights, and the timelines and maps that help outline historical events.
0: There is so much. It's beautifully illustrated with full-color designs to make it more readable and
1: engaging. And I love that they included interactive elements. We talk so much on this podcast about kids being experiential learners, and I think that's a great fit.
0: Yes. To learn more, go to explorerbibleforkids.com.
1: Buy your copy today from LifeWay.com and our listeners get 50% off using code RBG.
0: Let's talk about some practicals. Let's bring it home with some practical ideas. So as we're thinking about these P's that I love, one of the things thinking about peers in particular that you and I would both say about boys and girls, really at every age, and I think the closer they get to adolescence, it maybe becomes more important, but that kids need a safe group of kids who are cheering them on and speaking truth into their lives, both Mm. things. And so wherever you need to go to find that, you know, a lot of schools have small groups, which is great. Some kids feel safe sharing in those, some don't. Churches are a great place for them to find that, that they can meet as a grade level or middle school or high school or whatever it is, they break into smaller groups. I think that's a good place for them to experience it. We have group counseling at Daystar. A lot of counseling practices in different cities do that. That can be a great place as well. But they need to have other kids who are speaking Mm. truth and cheering them on because it's just so hard today. I have never sat with as many girls who talk about feeling lonely as I do right now, ever of all ages. And I think for them to have that community like we're talking about where they can share, we know those people are safe. We know it's a place where they've kind of earned the right just in being together in a small group that someone is putting boundaries around to create safety. And so even if they resist, we would both say it's really important that they have that space and we talk so much about they hit a point where the voices of their peers get louder and our voices as grown-ups who love them get quieter. So, what would you add to that? I love
1: that. An idea I would add to that would be that we want their relationships to offer satisfaction, but not survival. I talk in the book about how relationships should add to our well being, but not be the source of sustainability, which I think connects to so much of what you were saying on the front side about where girls can ask too much of relationships. And I think. Boys, particularly with the females in their lives, can ask way too much of their moms and then asking too much of their girlfriends at some point all along the way. And I think the other thing I would wanna say to that is not only are we asking too much from these human relationships, but I think it only stands in the way of us going to God for the things that He and only He is capable of meeting in our lives, those needs. And so I think it distances kids Spiritually, as well, when we are asking too much relationally from some Ooh, of those relationships David, here. That's good. Yes. What else would yes. you say?
0: Well, I would add a type of relationship that we haven't talked as much about today, but you and I talk about it a lot because we can't say it enough too about the importance of kids having other voices, other grown ups who they trust, that are speaking the same truths, like we talk about, we're so often saying the same things parents say, we're just a new voice, but are speaking those same truths into the lives of your kids. It is so important to have that, to have a village around them and around you in that way. And I can name off the top of my head different people that made a difference in my life. So
1: could I, absolutely.
0: And I think in that, the hard piece of it is it can start to feel threatening when they move towards adolescence, but a reminder that those people, their presence in their life is temporary, but often what they communicate and the lessons that they help bring home are permanent. Can I read something? Please. So I had a grandmother, have a grandmother, she's in heaven. She died when I was two, so I didn't really know her. And I have always heard the most amazing things about her. She is, oh, it me cry, but she is one of the family members I most want to be like because of all the stories I've heard about her warmth and kindness and all these amazing things. And she died at 50, which is so young. But every time I spend time with my dad or my aunt or my uncle and have an opportunity to talk about her, I love to hear stories about her. And I was with my aunt years ago, and she pulled something out of a file and handed it to me. And it was this kind of an essay that one of her best friends growing up wrote about my grandmother. And it speaks to exactly what we're talking about, about the importance of other voices. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I want to read part of it. She was pretty animated and vibrant. She was lovely, loving, and eminently lovable. She presided over her very modern living room through a decidedly classic portrait of herself, a lady in a blue dress. She had a portrait in her house that looked like that. Glamour. Dorothy Goff taught me glamour. Her greatest influence was during our junior high days, those years of braces, awkwardness, constant silliness, running in packs, and discovering boys. Dorothy Goff loved us, adored us, delighted in us, and opened her own self to us. Although we each had our own parents, we were truly mothered and fathered in a great many ways and by a great number of people, including each other's parents. So Dorothy Goff contributed to my growing up and in a very special way. She was the one during those nutty early adolescent years who nurtured us without criticism or expectations. She was the girl with us, the one who identified with our lives, problems, ideas, and antics. I loved my mother, but having a discussion with her about bras at age 13 would have been like getting permission from the local librarian to peruse the reference text. <laughs> <laughs> when the word of God goes out, it does not return unto him void or empty. Dorothy Goff died prematurely. Her last years marked by illness. I was deeply saddened by her passing, but her gifts do not go unremembered or unappreciated. When my own daughter climbs into my bed after going out with her friends and I stroke her hair and scratch her back while we talk of boys and friends and clothes and growing up, Dorothy Goff flows in my veins. When I spend money I don't have for a costly pair of shoes, just the right color to match a teenage holiday ball dress, Dorothy Goff is there. And when I violate every rational rule of motherhood and tell my daughter I believe in her and every idea that she has, Dorothy Goff is lavishing love beside me. I am blessed to have her as a guide.
1: That is stunning.
0: Wow.
1: hope that's who I am, certainly.
0: But yes, the power of other voices. So lots of importance in all those connections. Thanks for letting us talk about your book.
1: Thanks for talking about it, Katie (laughs) Kirk. Sissy, I have a question for you. Queso or guac?
0: Well, I'm used to us asking that question, but not answering it. But I think I would choose queso.
1: How would you feel about queso being central to your dinner tonight?
0: Oh, I love that plan.
1: Thanks to one of our sponsors, that can be your reality. Factor is helping me make red pepper queso chicken tonight.
0: That sounds amazing. I love Factor. I just made a green chili pork and pico de gallo bowl.
1: Did it bowl you over? (laughs)
0: Yeah, it did.
1: With Factor, you'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie smart, vegan and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons that help make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Two-minute meals.
0: Fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat whenever you are.
1: Snacks, smoothies, and more. Discover a wide variety of easy options for the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more.
0: Sign up and save. We have done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and
1: delicious. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, upscale options done easily. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime.
0: No prep, no mass meals. Factor meals are 100% ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed.
1: Head to factormeals.com/rbg50 and use code RBG50 to get 50% off.
0: That's code RBG50 at factormeals.com/rbg50 to get 50% off.
2: Hi, this is Melissa. Renee Brown talks about connection, and she says it's this energy between people. It's when we feel seen or heard or valued. It's when someone gives and receives without judgment. I think it's to know, to be known. It's to love, to be loving. Isaiah 55 says, Come, all you are thirsty. Come to the waters come to the waters, this thirst that we have for connection. We need connection. We desire it. We long for it. We yearn for it. We ache for it. It's what I want most. It's what I most lack. And it's what I fear I will never have. Connection is what we're made for. And when you taste it, when you taste the delight, of God connecting with you, of you connecting with someone else. It awakens deeper longings in us. Henry Nouwen says in his book, "A Inner Voice of Love, it's a journey through anguish to freedom. He says, after many years of life in universities, where I'd never felt fully at home, I became a member of this community of men and women with disabilities. I had been received with open arms, given all the attention and affection I could ever hope for, and offered a safe and loving place to grow spiritually as well as emotionally. And this is what hit me so much. Everything seemed ideal, but precisely at that time I fell apart, as if I needed a safe place to hit bottom. Connection, it awakens deeper longings in us of what we were made for in the first place. And yet, as Henry Nouwen is talking about, that he hit bottom when he felt and experienced this connection. I remember as a teenager, along with telling everyone else what to do, I began to realize that I had these longings that I wanted to connect A little like Henry Dowling, but in a different way. It sent me into turmoil because I began to think, i got to get rid of these longings. I am so selfish. I began to try to hate what I wanted so that I would be free to give to other people. I'll never be able to be the person God wants me to be until I get rid of these longings to be liked, to be loved, to be accepted. I needed to be independent, I thought. I needed to be strong and tough and in control. With that, I became indifferent. We can spend so much of our time trying to get rid of our longing for connection. I think that so many kids move that direction today. I just don't want to want anything. How can I just be okay? And they end up spending their lives trying so hard to push down their desire to connect in the way that God has made them. Larry Crabb said in his book on connecting, we can often mistake lesser longings for greater ones, like popularity and success, or like being intense but having shallow relationships. One of my favorite quotes and one I'm sure you're familiar with is a C.S. Lewis quote when he says, We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I think... That that's what we do with this overwhelming desire for connection. We feel like we can't control it. And we come with our own ways of how to receive it, and we end up making mud pies. We are far too easily pleased. Oh, may we taste of the goodness of God. I love in Ephesians 5. Starting with verse 1 from the message, it says, Watch what God does, and then you do it, like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. And this is the part. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious but extravagant. We're far too easily pleased. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. That's connection. What God does is love us. What God does is delight in us. And then we learn from Him. We learn a life of love. Oh, may we taste of the goodness and the love of God and be connected to Him. You see, Connection is not about intensity. It's about an intimacy. It's about an intimacy with our God. It's intimacy with other people. It's about kids coming back at night at camp after riding on a bike and being thankful for the talk they had as they were biking. It's about kids talking while they're out in a boat. and They have skied and they have tubed And yet what they share about is this great conversation I had on the boat. Or on Wednesday nights, there's a graduate group that meets in my house, and we sit around the table, and we talk and have Bible study. We need connection. We're made for connection. We desire, we long, we yearn, and we ache for it. But we're afraid we'll not have it. And so we begin to protect ourselves, or we hit rock bottom and even maybe go into depression because we feel like there's no one that wants to connect with us. I don't think you can really make connection happen, but I do believe that we can always be ready for it, be open to it, and know that this life is full of surprises and blessings. And that we have a God who delights in us. Let's learn how to hang out together again. Let's go for walks. Let's connect around the table, just like Jesus did as he talked and he walked with his disciples.
3: Hi, I'm Jess Wolstenholm, Director of Education and Faith Formation for Minnow, a streaming service for Christian families. Being a part of a local church and connecting with other believers is important in our spiritual lives and in the faith formation of our children, but we can't forget, faith begins at home. As a young mom, this truth overwhelmed me at first, but as I grew, I realized my kids will only thrive in our ever-changing world if they experience a safe, authentic faith connection right where they live. So my husband and I committed to cultivating our kids' knowledge of God and the Bible by connecting through spiritual conversations smack dab in the middle of our daily messes. Oh, it wasn't always pretty, but it was real. And the more kids experience faith in the midst of their reality, the more real it will become to them in the long term. Deuteronomy 6 reminds us that our children's faith formation begins right where they live. We don't have to be Bible scholars or pastors to lead our kids toward Jesus. It's not about being qualified. It's about connecting with our kids and inviting Jesus into those moments. So look for opportunities this week to talk about the things of God when you're doing life with your kids, when you're in the car, when you're doing dishes, when you're arguing over what movie to watch, when you're tucking them in. Every moment, every conversation is an opportunity to help our kids grow in faith what is one way you can connect with your child this week and point them to Jesus?
0: It's our joy to bring the experience and insight we gain through our work beyond the walls of the Daystar House.
1: If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends. And don't forget to click the follow button in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. To learn more about our parenting resources or to see if we're coming to a city near you, visit our website at RaisingBoysAndGirls.com.
0: Join us next time for more help and hope as you continue your journey of raising boys and girls.